Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, that's awesome. Let's do that again. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Awesome. So good. I just get excited when it's nice outside. Like, it just gets hot outside, and I'm like, I'm full send, full send summer. Full send summer, Tyler. It's the best. <clears throat> Anybody else look forward to the warm weather? Yes. Come on. It changes our attitudes, our behavior. Probably is better, I hope. Um, anyways, I wanted to celebrate uh, real quick. Today is Colton Barker's birthday. Colton Barker. Happy birthday to you. I uh, couldn't get away without saying that because it is literally, quite literally, his birthday today. Um, and then Mitchell Fraser had his birthday this last week on Thursday. So we'll give a round of applause to him too. He's drumming away. These guys are two of three of our uh, youth interns that hold down the fort in our youth department. And uh, just a quick shout out. I feel like I have to do this because I just love them so much. Um, Skyler uh, is one of our youth interns as well. And the whole youth group went to Leduc this last Friday night for uh, what's called End Rally. And it's a rally where they pull together youth, uh, youth groups from a few different churches. And uh, they did something I think called 8 by 8 Is that right? Three by eight. So they had three speakers for eight minutes. And Skyler was the last speaker of the night and uh, just powerful move of God in the presence uh, there at the end rally. And so that's just awesome. You need to know that our youth group is thriving and uh, we have three amazing leaders that are spending time investing in the life of our students here at the church. And uh, it is awesome. So, so good. It's a passion point for me, so I get excited about it. So um, if you don't know, I'm one of the pastors here at the church um, and I just love, I love being a part of this family. Um, this church feels like home, and uh, we just really enjoy it, and serving under Pastor Greg is just a great opportunity for us, because um, as pastors, we all get to step into our calling as Pastor Greg is attentive to what God is doing in his own life, and so it's just an amazing privilege to serve under a pastor that has great vision for things to come, and great vision for each of our lives as well as he disciples us, and, uh, and this opportunity to get a chance to speak to you, uh, we don't take that lightly when we get to be up here and get to share with you. Um, we believe Pastor Greg has a word and has a vision. And, and how many of you who have been here the last few weeks have sensed that on Pastor Greg? He has had a word. Yeah. It's been so good. If you haven't been able to go back and watch his messages um, in this series, you're not going to want to miss it. They're absolutely fantastic. Um, but what I can say is that over the last couple days as we were away uh, for our staff retreat, um, we got to partake in that vision. We got to really see what his heart is for this next season, this next year, and we're just so excited uh, to share that with you today. So I'm not going to let up this morning. I'm going to full pedal to the metal. We're going down today. We're going to go hard. I'm going to go into some uh, subject matter today that hopefully leaves you feeling encouraged and hopeful to what God is doing in your life, and um, we're just excited to be here today. If I could give this week's message its own title, it would be something along the lines of this, One Another Doing Life Together. So if we weren't observing the kind of the week-to-week chapter titles, that would be the title I'd go with today, One Another Doing Life Together. And if you're following along in our book, um, we are in the third book of our series. And if you haven't been following along, we started off with a book called Good and Beautiful God. Then we transitioned into a book called Good and Beautiful Life. And now we're in a series called Good and Beautiful Community. And this series has been transformative. It really has. And we are encouraging you to take part in what it means to be part of the good and beautiful community right now in this series that we're in. And uh, Pastor Greg says it all the time, but we really do believe that for you to experience the kind of transformational life change that God desires for your life will require that you take this journey seriously enough to dig in to the what and how we're supposed to live. That's what this series is all about. 
You know, it would be a mistake to just assume that you can get everything you need from a Sunday message. That would be a mistake. There is so much great content and so much great resource in the depths and in the pages of these, this material and these books, and we just encourage you to, to dig into those as well. And that's the vision that Pastor Greg cast for us at the beginning of the year when he said and felt that the Holy Spirit was leading us into this next season. He empowered our team, our staff team, to start reading these books as well, and we've experienced that life change in our own lives. Would you guys agree that um, this past season of life has kind of blurred together? Does anybody agree with that? Um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to preach about COVID today, okay? So, like, you don't have to be like, oh, another message about the pandemic. Like, that's not where I'm going today. But um, I do want to acknowledge the fact that this last season, um, God has been working and moving in a pretty powerful way. Um, throughout the pandemic and then coming out of the pandemic, the reason I kind of earmark those is because I actually really feel like those for me, for my life, are kind of like seasonal markers, it's like, I, I kind of didn't really notice, like, fall, winter, spring, summer. <laughs> I kind of just noticed, like, terrible and then better, <laughs> right? Like, it's, I, I haven't really, like, really experienced, like, seasonal change, but more like drastic overall seasonal change. And so I feel like we're in a new season, we're in a new chapter, but I've been aware of this, and some of the things that we've heard even at a staff level, um, you, you, you might recognize some of these thoughts and some of these things, but people have never felt more alone more anxious, more distracted and worried about their future. And this is the season that we've kind of just come out of. And this is, these are the responses, the things that we're, we're dealing with as your pastors. We're walking through life with people that are literally, quite literally experiencing these things right now. Never feeling more alone, more anxious, more distracted, more worried about their future. We've seen, you know, families ripped apart and separated because of kind of perceived moral high ground over what the right thing to do is. Friendships ripped apart over disagreements on what to do. When it comes to the way that we deal with relationships, it's created a lot of division. A lot of division, and in, even in your workplace, maybe you've experienced that as well. I'm convinced that the last season we've all been living through has made us more consciously aware than ever that even with all of the different dynamics of relationships we have, we cannot get away from this truth. We have to do life together. We have to do life together. We're not meant to do it alone. We're not meant to do life apart from one another. We're not meant to be alone. And that, that might even be hard for you to have to be around people that you maybe don't necessarily even agree with. <laughs> it's a reality that at some point now in this season, we're recognizing we have to do life together. We have to do life together. And I'm really proud of our church family. And I wanted to share this this morning before we get too far, because um, this is just a really exciting thing and something that we're celebrating on a week-to-week -week basis that I want you to celebrate as well. Our church is growing more rapidly than it has ever been before. Do you understand that? Our church is in a rapid season of growth right now. Is anybody excited about that? Yeah. We have seen our church attendance over 500 some weeks. And not just like a one-off week, but week after week after week, between in-person and online. And now we're entering summer season, and it's so nice outside. Everybody takes holiday, and you do your thing over the summer. But we're anticipating a massive expansion of the kingdom here at this church come this fall. And God is doing something powerful. It's not, it's not an estimated expansion. It's a guarantee. It's a guarantee of what's to come. 
And so really like we're, we're envisioning and we're dreaming toward this growth because God is showing us that as we are faithful with the small things, the big things are taken care of. Amen? So, uh, you know, we need to realize that who you're sitting beside today may look totally different next week and may look totally different the week after. And as we grow and as we start to expand, we have to realize that we're, we're surrounded by a ton of other people. We're surrounded by a ton of other people. We are keenly aware that between in-person and online, we serve more than one community at a time. We serve two. We serve those of you in the room and those of you at home. We recognize that. The coolest thing, the coolest thing ever is when those that are watching online show up here in church and come and see us. That's the best thing. We love that. We had one person watching for probably a year, and we weren't even totally sure if this person was real or not. Like, we just didn't know. We, like, sorry, online, we just don't know. Like, we don't know. It's just the world we live in, right? You just don't know. <laughs> and they showed up in person, and they were just so moved by the in-person experience, by the in-person family, the, the community that exists here. And so that's a celebration, church. That is a celebration. But we need to be aware. You need to be aware right now, just even in the back of your mind. There are people all over watching church with you right now. That is so amazing and so cool. So as we grow, we, you know, we need to recognize that we, pref- we might prefer that things didn't change. We might prefer that things don't change all that much, right? I can kind of be like that. You know, you develop habits and you develop, you know, structures and routine. And as, you know, new people start to come into the fold, maybe you kind of wish that, like, they would just come but, like, not change anything, right? Maybe, maybe like, grab a seat but, like, don't, don't like, offer your, like, opinion, you know? <laughs> maybe sometimes, like, sometimes maybe we wish that. Sometimes maybe we think that, like, it would be easier to just keep things going the same rather than change. But that's just not the vision we have. That's not the vision we have for this church or this community. And we know that's not your vision as well because you guys are some of the kindest and most welcoming people there is. And we've seen this because each and every week we get to celebrate as you guys are celebrated in our staff meetings as we hear new people constantly report to us what it's like to come to the Father's house is like coming home. Literally the language they use. It's like, it's like I just can't get enough of this place. It's like it felt like I belonged here forever and I never knew. It's like coming home. That's the literal feedback that we celebrate in our staff meetings. And you guys need to know that, that you are a part of making that a reality. We're excited about that. We're excited about what God is doing in our life and in the lives of others. So I recently started building a fence. Um, For those of you who maybe are in a construction trade or have regular experience with this, you'll know what I'm saying when I say this was a much larger task than I anticipated. Um, To me, I thought it'd be done, like bing, bang, boom, done, right? Like get the material, get it up in a quick, you know, in a weekend kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> no, didn't happen that way. Um, we, we rent our property here in Mournville. We own a place in Edmonton and we've had the same tenant for like six or seven years and we just don't want to like, you know, we don't want wind to move too quickly past his door because we just want him to stay there. Like he's just awesome. Like he's just so good. We don't want anything to change. He's amazing. So we're renting our place here and our landlord, he's amazing. And he's basically said to me, Tyler, I will provide whatever you want and you do the labor. I think that's a great deal. I think that's a great deal. If I want a deck, boom, there's the material for the deck. I get to put the deck in. Got it. That was last year's project. This year, my wife wanted a fence. Boom, material shows up. Now, the more I thought about this, the more I started to really reflect, this is a win-win for him only. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm putting in all the labor, all of the work, and he's, 
like I'm increasing his property value like, all around. So like it's really not a win-win for us other than the fact we get to use these things. But um, it is fun. I, I had a conversation with him on the phone when I finished the fence. Um, he said to me, hey, Ty, how's the fence coming? And I sent him a picture and I said, it's done. Good night. <laughs> and uh, he responded back to me. He called me right away. And uh, you know when you can tell someone's laughing on the phone or someone's smiling like really wide on the phone? I was talking to him and I could tell he was just so like happy and giddy on the other side. I said, Dave, I said, when you dropped off the material, you laughed at me as you drove away, didn't you? <laughs> and he said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, you knew exactly what you were doing, Dave. <laughs> I said, this was a huge project. <laughs> but it, it was massive. It was really, it was a way bigger project than I anticipated. I had no idea how big of a fence he wanted us to build. Uh, I had no idea. I, I asked Colton to come and help me. And uh, we both looked at each other. I was like, Cole, you ever built a fence before? He's like, no, I'm like, not me neither, sweet. <laughs> like, let's go, right? Like, we just had no idea what we were doing. We really had to think through it, really had to process the decisions before we made them. And we learned a lot. There's some things I would do differently next time. You can come drive by and check it out if you want. <laughs> but my wife really wanted a fence, okay? She really wanted a fence. And there's something about, you know, this, this thought of being, like, exposed to the community, especially when you live on the corner. We live on a corner of a cul-de-sac and so the first kind of house of the corner, everything down the side of our house is just open, just open for view, you know, like just wide open. Like if I come out of the bedroom at night and go to get a bowl of cereal, I better be fully clothed because like it's just not a safe place in my kitchen. Right? When the windows are open, it, you're like on the street corner, like everybody around you can see. So we needed a fence. We needed a fence to happen. Our entire yo yard, our entire yard is exposed all the way around. We have great neighbors. That's the benefit. We have fantastic neighbors. My, my wife spent some time getting to know our neighbors, and, um, and then over time, I've been able to get to know them as well, and just being around a little bit more, being present during the day. And the process of, of starting this fence kind of involved some fun conversation and um, some, some anticipation about, you know, how big are you building the fence? Uh, what's it going to look like? And, you know, do you guys kind of know where you want it to start and stop? And how nice it'll be to let your dog out in the backyard, and, and your kid can play in the backyard, Indy can play in the backyard, and I was like, oh, it'll be great. This is, this is going to be so good. We, we looked forward to it with great anticipation. And as I was chatting with him, I realized something. Building a fence and setting up a per, uh, parameter around our yard, around our life, it was going to take a lot more intentionality in getting to know him. It was going to take a lot more intentionality about being close and, and building relationship. Because how many of you know that building a fence doesn't mean that you actually go any further away? It just, it just clearly defines your parameters. It clearly defines your space. And it makes the required intentionality, the effort on the other end, to be done with, with real certainty, with real effectiveness, with real precision. And so I had to be more intentional with my actions, with words. And in order to grow into a meaningful relationship, I realized that this fence, although not changing our distance, our proximity to each other, actually in some ways made it harder for relationships. But we take responsibility in our relationships. And so we knew that this is something that we have to do. And most of you would agree, this is true for all of us. We live in proximity to one another. And the things we do, the actions that we partake in, the things that we say have power. And sometimes that power isn't felt in its fullness because of the proximity to one another, like the, the actual distance to one another, but the effort that we put in to making that known and growing closer. The more impact we have, and when it comes to our one another's or the people we come into contact with, even our church family here or online today, I believe that Jesus has an encouragement for us this morning. 
We're going to jump in and we're going to pray together and we'll get going. Let's pray. God, we just pray and invite you into this process this morning of speaking to us and showing us what it means to live as this transformative life as an encourager and a disciple of Christ. Give us wisdom this morning. Give us hope. Help us leave different than we came. We pray this in your name. Amen. John 13, 34 to 35 says this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The amazing thing about this verse is that it really comes clear when we understand that it's context and what's going on here. Jesus is telling his disciples, right after Judas has kind of disappeared, Judas is gone. He's actually gone to begin the betrayal process of Jesus to the Pharisees. And Judas is missing. And all the disciples are gathered around and they're sitting around Jesus. And Jesus is saying to them, hey, the most important thing you do right now from this point on is love one another. Love one another. Can you, can you imagine just for a second being in a position of one of the disciples, one of the 12, one of the closest to Jesus? I mean, we all have friends. Imagine one in your friend circle was going to betray you or betray someone you love. And imagine that person all of a sudden wasn't around anymore. Your mind would start to make connections with moments or even create doubt in their character and their integrity. You would start to think back like, oh, Judas missed that one meeting. He wasn't there that time that we had that conversation. Where was he actually? Wasn't he in charge of the money? Is that why we were a little short that one time? All of a sudden, you know, our, our minds start to work and our minds start to race and we become really aware of the decisions and kind of choices that we make to be in proximity to one another. And in this moment, Jesus is using this as an example. He's telling his disciples, Judas is gone. Jesus is saying, the most important thing to do moving forward is to love one another. The most important thing to do is love one another. And this likely in that moment might have sounded like a little bit of a new thing. You know, sometimes in my life, when I hear wisdom in moments where I'm feeling frustrated or even angry or hurt, when I hear wisdom, even if I've heard it before, sometimes it will feel new and it will feel fresh. And so although Jesus is saying something that they've actually heard and understood in their own way before, it sounds like probably a new thing. We start to, to realize that there's more to this. Jesus is actually, from this verse in, in John, he's actually calling their attention back to the Old Testament. We're going to look at this in Leviticus 19, 18. It says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. This is the commandment that they've been given. This is the Old Testament teaching that they've been given when it comes to loving their neighbor. But Jesus is now shifting it a bit. And Jesus has decided to, to reestablish this truth in a new way. And this is what we're going to get into. The, the reason I want to start with talking about love this morning is because it's really important to understand Jesus' intention when it comes to our relationships and how we love one another in order to understand how to encourage one another. And you're going to understand why. This is how the church is supposed to be known. This is how we're supposed to be known for how we love one another. If, you know, it's how your neighbors and your, and your community are supposed to know that you're a Christ follower. It's how the town of Mournville and Sturgeon County and all surrounding areas are supposed to know that there's a church in this location filled with people that love one another. It's, it's a radically different kind of love, and even more, a different kind of result happens within us, and it shapes our life and then eventually transforms the life of those around us. 
And a tough question that we could ask this morning is this, is, what is um, what's our distinguishing mark or distinguishing feature of our church? What's the distinguishing mark? Is it the lights and music? Is it the great kids ministry? Is it the youth ministry, the young adult ministry, the events, the care groups? Or is it how we love one another and how we love others? These are just questions this morning. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. One of the most amazing moments for my wife and I when we first started checking out this church was feeling that we instantly felt welcome to be part of a family. This feeling of home. You know, I, I'll be honest with you, um, when my wife was offered the... Sorry, this is really far from my mouth. Sorry, guys. Um, when my wife was offered the position here at the church, um, I wasn't really sure she was working as a teacher here at the Christian school. I wasn't really all that sure that I wanted to go back into ministry. And in order to really kind of discern if I was going to step back into ministry, I needed to know that the church was going to be a safe place. And so when we started coming to this church, you know, I looked at it through the lens of a supporting husband and looking through, what does this mean to my wife? What is this? She loved the school. She loved the, the teachers she worked with. She loved the staff. What does this mean to her? And then I had to start to ask myself, what does this mean to me? And as this all happened for me in, in a moment, I'm an emotional person, so this, this like is quick. <laughs> and I'm sitting in church, uh, you know, here at the Father's House, we were at the CCC and um, the Cultural Center here in town. And I'm sitting there and I decided in my spirit that this was going to be our church. I decided in my spirit that there was something special about this place. There was something special about this community of believers together, that, that it felt like home. And, and that language, that, 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 that collection, that understanding for us became really real, really fast. And a lot of our decisions today are a result of that. This is what it's all about. How we do community with one another says a lot about what we believe. So you need to know that if there's someone new, maybe even sitting beside you today, they might be asking the same question. What is this church all about? Who are they? What do they care about? Even more so than the music, than the lights, than the ministries we offer. Is, are these people good? And is this community safe? It's a huge part of it. And the other side of this is maybe you're wondering today, maybe you're sitting here going, I don't personally struggle with loving one another, but uh, my friend on the other side of the church, <laughs> they do. <laughs> or my family member, my in-laws in the front, they really struggle with loving one another. <laughs> right? And so you might have this temptation in you to start to look to others, to look to your other one another's, and start to say, this is for them. No. This is for you. <laughs> this is for all of us today. You know, the, the temptation in all of our lives is to constantly look around us and say, well, this is actually for you. This isn't for me. I don't struggle with this. But the more that we ask, the more that we dive into the question of what are we struggling with? What are we scared of? What are we, what are we worried will change if I embrace blank? Those questions, as we start to answer those questions, really reveal our attitude and our position, our, our posture toward one another, towards new people, towards each other. I get the feeling, and I'll confess to you, that sometimes I wonder um, if all of us are on the same page. And uh, I'm going to, I share this because I struggle with it too. Um, but like reading stuff on social is like a really easy place to decide what you think about someone right away. Anybody else struggle with that? I do a lot less caring for people when I just expect to know who they are based off of what they say on social. It takes no effort to meet with you one-on-one -on -one to just judge you. <laughs> it really doesn't. You can post anything without any context and I read it and I make a judgment about you. And that's the world that we live in. 
It's so easy to do that. It's so easy to partake in this kind of exchange back and forth, this really unhealthy exchange back and forth where our perception and our view of the right one another, the right way to do one another relationships is actually just to like judge what you're putting out there all the time. Couldn't be further from what Jesus wanted for us. The habits of of thinking that, that you know, we're a Christian or Christ follower because of what we, what we don't partake in and that's good enough is, is not okay. Um, we, we think often that being a Christian or a Christ follower is strictly just about our actions and what we do or what we, what we don't do. But I, I want to actually present the idea today that it's actually probably more about what you say and how you say it. That's what presents to the world around you the kind of person you are, let alone the belief that you have. See, if something hasn't transformed your life, your heart, your soul, your mind, nothing coming out of you will reflect that transformation. And so if we live in just a, an action or an action-based, an added, you know, a, a posture where we're just doing things because we're told that's the right behavior to do, but not actually allowing it to transform our hearts, we don't do one anothering very well at all. I'm talking about this because in order to get to encouragement, what it really means, we actually first have to understand the commandment of loving one another. We have to. It's easy to make gathering together about community, the services, songs, or even theology. I love, I love this. The other couple weeks ago when Pastor Greg asked kind of what all our backgrounds are, and we all shared kind of our backgrounds of, of church, you know, church history, if you grew up in the church, what church you were part of, or Catholic, or you Pentecostal, you Baptist, whatever. And we all kind of just shared. I love that. I thought it was so neat to see that we're all pieces like our cross. We're all pieces coming together to form this body, this image, all together. It's easy to look at the differences that we have, but ignore the command of what it means to really love one another. The false narratives in our book explore this, and the first one that it explores is this false narrative is that the community serves my needs. And if we're not careful, we end up believing that the primary role of this community in our life is to serve our preferences, our needs, and maybe even meet our demands. Let me tell you this is true. Um, even as a pastor here at the church, sometimes it can feel like my role is to meet your demands. That's the, that's the reality. That's the challenge, just being real with you this morning, is that sometimes I get confused that my role as a pastor is to meet your demands. No. That's not my role. That's not our role together as a community of believers. Our, our role is so much more than that. But if we're not careful, we end up believing that. We end up believing that, that that's what it's all about. You can come to church every single week and still be getting this wrong. The, the new commandment that Jesus gave is to love based on sacrifice. It's to love based on sacrifice. And the true narrative is this, in contrast to the first one is this, is that the community should shape our lives. Community should shape our lives. Being in, in closeness with one another in this room, in community with each other, should shape our lives. It should absolutely transform who we are. It should be impossible to be the same kind of person you were before you started coming into this community than it would be being on your own. None, none of us, none of us would be the person we are today if not for a collection of people pouring into our life. And that's true. If we sat down one-on-one, -on -one, I'm sure you would share with me people that have influenced your life and maybe even encouraged you along the way. But that's because those people, most notably, are good at one-anothering. They're good at putting others first. They're good at this kind of sacrificial kind of love. And believers are to follow this new feature, this new principle. And Jesus was, was going to leave them physically. Um, he knew that they would need a strong commitment to each other in his absence. 
Because how many of you know it's really easy to follow Jesus at church? It's way harder to do it when you're alone. It's way harder to do it when you're at work surrounded by people that don't share your beliefs. It's way harder to do it when you're in the depths of a, of a decision and you're by yourself without any accountability. It's way more challenging to do life on your own than it is in community with others. And Jesus knew this. His, 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 his call was that they love one another. And that love looks three different ways. It was our, he's talking about our vertical love for the Lord, our horizontal love for each other, and then that love for one another demonstrating ultimately their love for the Lord. And so how we love one another is a reflection of the belief we have about our love for God, his love for us, and his love for you. But Jesus goes further than this. He says, as I have loved you, love one another. Love other people as ourselves is not a new command. The, the new element, the only new addition in this section here is the, as I have loved you. As I have loved you. Jesus' standard for loving is his own loving sacrifice for others. And the phrase goes so much more beyond the Leviticus 19 command to love. This new element of the commandment is that the disciples were to love each other just as Jesus loved them. And what was that going to mean? They had no idea. They had no idea that Jesus was just about to sacrifice everything for them. That that's the kind of love that Jesus, Jesus was setting the precedent of what it means to one another well. Jesus was saying, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. Judas might betray you now, but love one another. Hold fast to one another because you are going to need each other when I am gone. And this is the encouragement for us. This kind of love that Jesus requires of his followers, you know, raises love to an entirely different level. This sacrificial love is impossible to do on your own. It's impossible. When I try to love you out of Tyler's strength, it's a selfish kind of love. And it's shallow. I don't actually have the capacity to love you the way that Jesus loves you, the, the sacrifice that Jesus had for you. But with Jesus, in partnership with him, the transformation that occurs inside of me starts to overflow. And it starts to overflow into my life. And then all of a sudden, I see you in light of what Jesus has already done for me. That's the difference. So the principle number one is this. Self-sacrificing love is the new norm for believers and the hallmark of genuine Christianity. Self-sacrificing love is the new norm. That has to be the new norm for believers and the hallmark of genuine Christianity. If you ask anybody who doesn't believe in Jesus... Anybody in our friend circle, my wife and I have lots of unchristian friends, people that we, we love and care about and involved in their life. We care about them so much. If you ask anything about them, about what's different about us, it's that we love so well. We care for them. We care for them so well. And that's the trademark. It's, it's this new norm. It has to be. It's this self-sacrificial kind of love. It's saying, hey, it's not just about me, but actually, like, how are you? How are you doing? What's going on in your life? How can I encourage you on? How can I actually walk life with you and call you to what God has for you? I believe God has his best plan for me, but I also want that for you, and I love you. That's the kind of love. Biblical love is not sharing common interests or meeting your needs and preferences, but biblical love is both the willingness and then execution of sacrificial love for others. It has to do with what's best, what's best for another person. So two things are true. Number one, we are using more words than ever before. Check this out. Saw this presented in a message a while back. In the year 2020, it's estimated that on average, when it comes to our communication, 
306 billion emails, 4.5 trillion text messages, 500 million tweets, and 525 million hours of YouTube are consumed or, take, or, or output every day. That's as of 2020. Every day. Did you know that if you gather all of the communication from the year 2020, it outweighs all of the communication in history, period. All of the language used in history, period. All of the words used in history, period. And every subsequent year from that point since social media was released, slaughtered what was already done in history. And that was two years ago. This is the outgoing and consumption data for how many words we use. There's, there's, we, we use so many words. So many. We're using more than ever before. The second truth is this. If that's true, the second truth is this. We think less about our words than ever before. Why do you think that all the words to make up history are less than all of the words we've had since social media? It's because they were intentional. History is documented carefully, is, is thought out, is processed and understood and, and intricate and detailed. But we're in this culture now, society now, where words are immediate. Gratification or shame are immediate. Your words become not only fact, but truth to you and can inform others. We don't think about the impact, but when things used to be a bit slower, a bit more delayed, we used to spend time thinking about them. We used to spend time thinking. I remember, you know, my, the first girl that I ever dated, I said, let's write letters. <laughs> let's write letters. <laughs> and um, it just takes so long. <laughs> it takes so long to write a letter, but you have to be thought out and precise. But then how many of you know it also takes time to get there? And then life has already changed. <laughs> and then it's, you know, I'm, it's just a challenge, right? But there's, there was this carefulness. There's this intentionality there. You know, I even, I'm talking to some of the youth and stuff in, in the past. It's funny because, you know, um, I, my generation has experienced the birth of the cell phone um, and then social media. That's my generation. And so I lived very much of my early life and memorable life without those things. And then have seen them come into fruition and then have experienced the use and development of them. So I kind of have both sides. But I remember um, I didn't have a cell phone. My mom uh, believed that I, I didn't need a cell phone until I was driving. And uh, until I was on my own, traveling away from our family, I didn't need a cell phone. And uh, that sounds really dated now to say that out loud. But um, I remember having to find and plot the nearest gas station with a payphone to call and call my friends or update her where I was or whatever. And then they ripped payphones out of the machines, but they left the booths. <laughs> I didn't understand that at all. Why, why'd you leave the booth there? <laughs> now it's a rain shelter. <laughs> but I remember they ripped the, cell, the, the phones out of the payphones. And then I would go just into the gas station and just ask politely to borrow the phone. And they'd be like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> and now they're like, nope, here's a pay-as-you-go phone. <laughs> right? Here's your cell phone. Sign your monthly plan here. But kids now are being raised to immediately have access to device. Immediately. And that's producing this, I think it's a danger, and I'm seeing it in a different lens. So I want to be careful. 
But I think that it's a danger when we have so much access to something that doesn't require the same amount of thought it takes to, to output. And, and I, I say that carefully because I, I think the next generation, even beyond our kids now, may, it may circle back to a point of where they actually start to understand what's happening with it again. And they might start to make decisions to say no to certain elements. That's what I hope for. But the trend would certainly show otherwise. <laughs> would certainly show otherwise. We think about our words way less. We're not conditioned for sacrificial love. We're conditioned for whatever makes me happy. And it's so, it, it's true. And if you're finding yourself resisting that today, um, I, just, I just ask you to think about it a little more. Just think about the areas in your life that you might not be willing to give to someone else. Or you might not be willing to partake or even encourage someone else in that part of their life. We're not conditioned for it. The kind of love that Jesus instructed about requires way more effort and intentionality than we understand. It's way too easy to live in the love at the extent of my feelings and opinions. Why? Because we do it every second of every day. We partake in those things. We, we fuel that fire all of the time when we immediately respond to that message. Oh, can't let it sit. We immediately address that email with a hundred words we would never say to that person's face. And we can blame society or culture for this, but like in my generation, I have heard that more than ever before. Blaming society and culture. Blaming my generation for something that was handed to us. I saw my parents use a cell phone before I ever got one. It just became part of society. It became part of culture. It became part of the norm. And so, you know, in my generation and in generations to come, we're being conditioned to believe that access gives us the right. Access gives us the right. We think we have the ability to think and control. But we, it's challenging. It's hard when everything in this world is, is the opposite of sacrificial living, sacrificial love. But it is possible to develop maturity in these areas. There's hope. I'm not going to leave us with uh, the sad stuff today. It's easy to share whatever we want, but Jesus, period, right? Jesus is good, and he gives us power, and there's great, great things to come with the power that he gives. Jesus would, would still be asking the same thing of us, by the way, and he is. He's asking the same thing of you and I. Love one another just as I have loved you. Be intentional. Be intentional. Live and love with the kind of sacrificial effort that I have for you. That's what Jesus would say to you. Be intentional about your relationships. You know, as we commit to loving one another, that we, we, we've got a hope that that love would, would impact and transform the world around us. Because it is different. It is so different. That kind of love is so different than what the world offers. And the people, you know, as they see that kind of love expressed, will eventually understand that difference is what defines us as Christians, as Christ followers. And that's ultimately because of the way that we want another. And principle two is this. We cannot ignore our responsibility to encourage one another. The, the, this community exists to shape and guide our souls. It's not a community that we should feel necessarily or entirely satisfied or comfortable at all times. Um, great moments of revelation for me have come when I often reflect on how comfortable I am. Because if I'm comfortable in something, it probably means that I'm not being stretched in that area as maybe as much as I should be willing to be. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's okay to, to, to be comfortable in terms of 
you know, safe and, and um, comfortable even in your family in terms of like things are under control and things are managed. But I think even in relationship, we can get comfortable doing relationship the way that we do relationship always. And when it becomes comfortable, we miss out on the transformation that's available as we understand what it means to have relationship with intentionality. So I'd like to challenge you this morning that if you're feeling comfortable, if you're feeling cozy, maybe it's been a while, but you need to allow community to start to feed into your life, start to influence, begin shaping your life towards Christ. We read about this in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, talks about transformation into Christ-likeness. And it says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good, need, good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Isn't that a timely scripture? Isn't that timely for now? This isn't just about meeting and gathering together. You know, there are churches that still have not got back together after this last season we've come out of. And it's sad because this community, community is what we need. It's the transformation that we need. So if the church, if this community has the responsibility to provide this opportunity for us, then it also has the right to call you to a higher level of maturity in these areas. It's not me. If, if we together collectively have the responsibility to be in re- relationship with one another, then we also have the right to speak into each other's lives. We also have the right to speak into each other's lives in such a way that encourages you, but also challenges you to live in your fullness that God has for you, in whatever way that might be. So what does that transformation look like? Well, the the goal of the church is to propel us into action, to live on mission for Jesus. And, um, you know, it is is an interesting thing to note because a lot of people don't understand what the goal of the church is. So I'm just going to share this. The goal of the church is to propel each, each of us into action to live on mission for Jesus, reminding each other of who we are, showing each other what we can be, and having the courage to hold each other accountable. When no one else will, we will. We will. Because that's our job as a community together. And it's not just my job as a pastor. I love that I get to do that. But it is just as transformational for me when you come and speak into my life. When you come and give a word to my life and say, Tyler, slight course correction here. You're doing great, man. But you know what? I see this area in your life and I want to I encourage you in that direction. Keep chasing God. I need that, church. I need that as much as all of us do. And there's great opportunity there to be reminded of who we are. You can show me, show each other what we can be, who we're meant to be, and have that courage to hold each other accountable. We can all gain something from someone else. And you might be a bit more self-contained than someone else around you. Um, self-contained for me is just like an introvert would be more self-contained than me. Like I'm just constantly an overflow. <laughs> so I'm like always just overflowing to everybody, always. Um, yeah, it's exhausting for people around me. My wife said to me one time, like, it's really fun to be with you, Tyler, but like it's also tiring sometimes. <laughs> like, like I, I have like a lot of passion, so it, it can be exhausting, I'm sure, to follow those things. But no matter whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, we are required by the nature of, of society to do life with one another. We are. You will rub shoulders with someone who's not like you. We can all give something to each other. And this is largely a distinguishing piece of the New Testament church. And I love this because the New Testament church um, was birthed out of this 
amazing relationship that Jesus had with his 12. He inspired them to share this good news. And so out of that, boom, the 12 went out and they started planting churches. They started going where they felt called to go. And the apostles eventually began going and sending letters and encouraging each other on, right? One anothering well. <laughs> but how many of you know that they weren't necessarily welcome everywhere they went? They actually were in some places where it cost them their life. And, and as a result of that, specifically, we see like, for example, the Roman Empire drastically transformed because of the work of the church. And the reason for that is that God was at work in their lives and so then created opportunities for pockets of community. And those pockets of community developed incredible systems of encouragement for one another, holding each other accountable, spurring each other on toward the mission and the goal. And we today, we today get to live in the fruit of that effort. We get to, to understand that, that we're recipients of that today, of that work that was done by an encouraging community. So as we live, like Christ followers, when in community, not only are required to spur on and encourage one another, but the outflow of that ends up transforming the world. It does. And Jesus practiced this well. Matthew 26, this is Jesus in the garden. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Listen, Jesus didn't need them to say or do anything. He needed them close by. He needed them close. And I love the way that Dr. Charles Stanley puts this. He says, when looking at this verse specifically, he said, it tells us that he was a man. The physical side of Jesus felt the same things that you and I feel. I love that. I love that Jesus needed advocates, that Jesus needed people in close proximity to him to even just be present, even just walk life through the hard things with him, just not say anything, not necessarily, but just be close. Encouragement's a major theme. It's a major theme in the Bible. And Jesus, you know, he's one of those amazing examples of, of just incredible intentionality. Um, in Mark 10, you know, we read here that they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, maybe you've heard this story, and Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. He heard him. He heard. So they called to the blind man, cheer up. <laughs> cheer up on your feet. <laughs> He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Like how many of you need that moment? You know, how many of you need to know today, like Jesus is hearing you and he's calling you and maybe you need to hear right now today that you just need to get up and run to him. Because Jesus is, he's saying, call him, call him over. <laughs> and maybe you're not hearing it, but you need to today. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Jesus was sensitive. He was an encourager. And that, that influenced not only, of course, the blind man, but also the others around him. Jesus would take the time to do something like this. Jesus would heal this man. Wow. Jesus. 
Then there's a woman caught in the act of adultery, and they get the stones, and they're going to kill her, right? Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus' encouragement involved a departure from sin and then life. And there's an incredible thing there that Jesus is, he's being encouraging and supportive, but he's also calling them into who they are meant to be. He had a unique way of encouraging in that he reminds each other of who we are. We're children of God created on purpose. Shows each other what we can be, that we were created with purpose. And have courage to hold each other accountable, to be in authentic relationship with him. And all of us need this kind of encouragement. None of us want to be condemned or judged, but so many of us have learned this terrible skill over this last season of isolation, of isolating ourselves from community of people. We build fences that eventually become walls that keep people out rather than create space to grow. And we're used to that. We avoid those who challenge us, and then we miss the equipping that happens in order to live this transformational life that Christ wants for us. The band can come now. You guys can start playing. Listen, it's fairly understandable to have these moments when we come to faith and choose to live for Jesus, but it's through proximity, connection to his power and personhood that we begin to take shape as a disciple. And Jesus, even though he was departing his 12, his, his disciples, Jesus knew that the only thing that was going to help them, the only thing at that point that was going to encourage them was to tell them, just as I have loved you, love one another. Don't lose hope. Don't lose your love for one another. You're going to need that. Because just as I have loved you, as Jesus loved them, the way that they chose to love each other reminded them of what? The way that they were loved by Jesus. And so each one of us have an incredible responsibility as we love one another. And I've used that term, one anothering, today. Because each one of you have an opportunity to love each other the way that Jesus loves you. And as we do that, encouragement takes on a different thing. Encouragement does not mean blind approval or support of one another's every decision at all costs. It means that as we belong to a community of people of faith, that we would begin to develop meaningful relationships that would remind us of who we are, show us what we can be, and then have the courage to hold us accountable to see the fruits and results activated in our life. Some of you today might need to do a little bit of a self-evaluation. You might need to ask yourself some questions and analyze what people are primary influencers in your life. This is a challenging question. And if you don't have any primary influencers in your life, if you're saying, no, I'm good, I don't, have, I don't really let anybody influence me, I would say you have just as big of an issue. Because who we allow to influence us is actually an indication of our need for a savior. And as we be, take part in community with one another, there's an exchange that happens where we allow the blessing and the calling on your life to influence my life. Your purpose can actually help me find my purpose, can help me through my situation. Your experiences, your heartache can actually help me find healing. And as we share together and as we encourage one another in all that life has, we actually enter into this beautiful picture of the body of Christ. But ask yourself this question. Are you surrounded by people who support your decisions or support your Christ-like life? Because if it's just about decisions to you, if it's just about finding people that agree with everything you do, you're going to find yourself wondering, what is this all about? 
Jesus wants to transform your life. He wants you to be in relationship with people that challenge, not in a bad way, not everything you do, but encourage you in this journey as a Christ follower. How many of you would love to leave this place and to literally, like, quite literally at nighttime, you know, walk down the streets in, in town and literally imagine, imagine literally seeing like beacons of light. Like that's how visible Christ wants each of us to be to each other. That's how visible God wants us in, in terms of in this community. He wants us to be able to be so radically different that when we step out into relationship and community from relationship with one another and we encourage each other, all of a sudden people can't help but follow Jesus. All of a sudden, people can't help but choose to live for him. That's a beautiful thing. Our text in the book says we rise to the level of expectation. Ask yourself this morning, what are you expecting from the relationships around you? How are you investing in who you become? I'm not that old. Um, some of you are way wiser than me. Um, but a powerful revelation that I've had is this, is that no matter how experienced or mature you may feel or even be, there's still room to grow. And so today, if you're sitting here today feeling like I'm not really sure that I agree, I have this all sorted, I have this all figured out, I understand what it means to be a part of an encouraging community, come help me. I need your help, honestly, because it's way easier to be focused on my needs. It's way easier to be focused on what feels good for me and what I prefer than it is to really, truly, honestly care for the, the life of someone else. God has huge plans for each and every one of us. Huge things. And this next season, as we grow, we have a responsibility to invest in one another. And then as we invest in one another, we all of a sudden have this beautiful right to speak truth and life into those places that we need encouragement. We're going to stand and sing together, and I'm going to come and close. I pray for you right now that God would reveal his fullness to you, that you would be encouraged today, that you would be filled with hope. And as you sing and as you partake in worship, that even just the voices of those around you would encourage you in the journey that you're on. I was uh, chatting with my neighbor as I finished putting up the fence and I was putting the last few boards in place and it felt so good. <laughs> it felt so good. It felt final. It felt like something was going to change for us felt like, uh, didn't it? My wife's in the back. It felt good. It felt really, really good to get it finished. And uh, for a moment with my neighbor, it was, it was almost even like a little bit uncomfortable because all of a sudden I, I saw him through the boards instead of face to face. Um, but then it shifted. And I was attentive to what the Lord was saying to me. And by building a fence, instead of defining my space and the value just being for our family, for our needs, it actually became an opportunity for invitation. It became an opportunity to say, hey, I've created space now. I've created an opportunity now, space that wasn't totally here before or defined. There's structure and formation to our relationship, and I, I found myself saying, hey, let's plan for a time for you guys to come over. Let's plan for a time for you guys to come over and enjoy the art together. And it was awesome, and it was so good, and it took us to a next level of our relationship. They still say hi every day when they see us or when they see my daughter playing outside or Elise on the deck. They say hi and hello, but it's created an opportunity to say, come into my space. This wasn't created just for me. This is something we're going to enjoy together. And that's what God is inviting you into, church, by being a part of the encouraging community, is by being involved and invited into a process and into relationship with him that says, this isn't just for me. 
It's not just about what I want. It's just not just about my needs, but I'm actually creating a space. I'm doing something that's going to make you feel and understand the love of God even more as he transforms your life. And so church, I pray today for you. Let's just close, bow our eyes, bow our heads here. Father, I pray for each and every person here that they would know the transformative power of Christ in their life. God, that they would know that they are loved. Father, that they would know the power available to them, not only in their words and actions, God, but in the relationships that they build with their one and others. God, help us be a group and a community of people that are really good at one anothering. God, that as we live with our people that disagree with us or people that don't share the same beliefs as us, God, that we would be so encouraged by the relationships and community here that it would be impossible for us to not be difference makers in relationships with other people, that we would be able to call people forward into who they're supposed to be, the purpose that God has for their life, and then ultimately give them the courage and the hope to live boldly for you. So right now with our eyes closed, I just want to give anybody the opportunity today that might want to say, I want to follow Christ with my life. Would you just raise your hand? Would you just lift your hand boldly? Do you want to accept? Yes, I see your hand. If you're online and you want to accept Christ today, yes, I see your hand. If you want to accept Christ today online, we'll put a button up there. You can click that. We'll be available for prayer. Right now, church, why don't we pray together? Repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for sending your son so that I could live free of sin and shame. Help me live the best life, the kind of life that you planned for me. Help me be an encourager and encourage me today. Amen. Everybody, let's give Jesus a round of applause this morning. If you need prayer, if you need to be encouraged today by someone in this church, do not leave without being bold and asking for that today. Be bold and courageous and ask for someone to be involved in your life. Bring them into what's going on. There's prayer under the cross if you want it. Go in peace. Have an awesome rest of your week, an awesome Sunday. We'll see you next week, church.